Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse. This is Golf Monthly's weekly podcast. And as we are heading into the sort of depths of December, we've decided to do a special podcast this week and look at some of our favourite pieces of equipment from 2015 and look ahead to, to 2016 and what we might be able to expect there. My name is Neil Tappin. I'm Golf Monthly's digital editor and I have a sort of slightly different band of people joining me this week. Uh, first is Golf Monthly's own equipment editor, Joel. Uh, Joel Tabman. Joel, how are you? Very well, thank you, sir. Uh, freshly back from a very secretive... I can't tell you anything about Joel's trip, even though we've been discussing it all morning. Um, Joel, how was your trip to uh, unspecified destination? It was very, very exciting. Yeah, obviously, I'd love to tell you a bit more, but um, all I can say is that there's some very exciting product coming next year. OK, and sitting next to Joel is Jake O'Reilly. Uh, Jake, you work alongside Joel on the equipment side of the magazine. Been a good year for equipment, do you think? Yeah, very exciting. There's lots of um, new products. You know, everyone's gone on different avenues with terms of colours and shapes and sizes. So um, I think this year more than ever, there's something for for every taste and every sort of um, swing out there. Very good, very good indeed. And sitting next to me, I'm very lucky to be joined by the Golf Monthly editor himself, Mr. Michael Harris. Mike, hello, Neil. How are you? I'm well. It's nice to have you here. Well, nice to be invited back. I know uh, I took a little short sabbatical. Uh, last week from the uh, tour podcast I was worried about not getting an invite back but um, quite frankly I just pulled rank and said I wanted to be in on this one so yeah, I do love my golf equipment as everybody knows uh, I'm the first one to be opening boxes when they come into the office always like to give uh, new um, new drivers, new irons a, a waggle um, so yeah I do love my golf equipment you do. I can uh, verify that you are a little bit of an equipment weirdo. You, you definitely, definitely love your golf equipment. OK, so the first uh, point of discussion this week is uh, our favourite pieces of golf equipment of 2015. Joel, I think it's probably right and fitting to start with you because you've probably hit more than anybody else, although we've all hit a fair amount. Um, I don't need a top three. I need a top one. Single most piece, um, the best piece of equipment of 2015. It's very difficult for you because you have hit everything and there's a lot of very good stuff out there. But if you had to nominate one thing to say that was the thing that I really will remember for 2015, what would it be? Here we go. Yeah, cheers, Neil. It's a very, uh, obviously there's so many great new products this year, so to narrow it down to one is very tricky. But um, for me, the TaylorMade M1 driver, I realise there's obviously a lot of hype around the launch and people are critical of their product cycles and rightly so you know, I do understand their frustrations but for me it is one of the best performing drivers of 2015 it's got a very striking look I think that shelf appeal is very important um, and it's got a very unique sound and feel off the face one that I think every goldfish should try at least once I really do think um, it's different to everything in the market and I realize you know composite crowns they're, they're not anything new to the market but it really has unlocked some technology we've not seen on the solar drivers um, so far and um, I think it's really going to help a lot more golfers enjoy the game. Uh, playing devil's advocate and just because I've read some of the comments that we've received for some of our videos and some of our content people would be saying I'm sure the TaylorMade driver is very good but is it that much better than R15? What would your, what would your sort of thoughts on that be? Yeah well I did a head-to-head -head test um, a few weeks ago and I was, I was not expecting it to outperform the R15 significantly and while it, it did outperform it marginally I think what it's going to offer golfers is more adjustability to be able to fine-tune their launch and spin, um, which is not only going to help their distance, but it's also going to help their accuracy as well. So on the sole of the M1 driver, you've got more options to change that shot shape and the trajectory, as well as that unique look and that change in the feel and sound. I think that overall package is a step up from the R15. And 
while the performance wasn't a massive difference, you know, if you've got an R15 driver, I don't think you need to worry about upgrading straight away to the M1, but maybe, you know, if you've got an SLDR or a Rocket Balls driver, I do think the performance you get out of M1 is going to trump those models, so worth an upgrading if you've got that driver. Um, Mike, just a quick question for you on, on TaylorMade's M1. Were you surprised at the pricing that TaylorMade went with? It's an ultra-premium driver, and they have stepped it up in terms of price from where they have been in the past. Were you surprised to see them do that? Do you think it's a good thing? Do you think it's a bad thing? What were your thoughts? I think pricing is really interesting when it comes to golf equipment. You are talking to the man who, back in whatever it was, 2000, spent £499 uh, on a Callaway ERC driver. So, 429 15 years on, um, I can't remember exactly when ERC2 um, was released, but that was the very latest in technology. I had to have it. Um, I couldn't afford to pay it all in one go. I had to do it in a series of instalments. Uh, I don't think I told my wife that I bought, or my girlfriend as she was then, bought the driver. But e equipment prices actually have come down a lot in the last 15 years. I do think that golfers get a lot of technology uh, at the price point for, for modern clubs. Uh, you got to remember as well with M1 that there were 20-odd um, really premium aftermarket shafts available at no upcharge on that. So whilst 49 is uh, a very, very high price point for you know current drivers, I think there's a lot of technology in there, as Joel says. Uh, I think you'll probably also won't pay 429. I would think that um, you know, price in your you know in your local pro shop is likely to be under four hundred pounds, and that will you know people have to remember that will come down. TaylorMade are on one year product cycles um, these days. I don't think you know if you buy a product, a TaylorMade driver, six months after it's been uh, released, you should expect that model to be um, you know sort of a new model to be coming out within you know six months from you know for, for, from that sort of midpoint of the cycle so I think it's a really good point as well that Joel makes that um, when a new driver comes out it doesn't make the one that it's replaced obsolete at all and it doesn't in fact make the you know the models before that obsolete but every time manufacturers bring out a new club there will be a different performance benefit it may not necessarily as Joel's test proved but you know give you a lot more distance or be a lot more accurate but if you haven't upgraded your driver or your irons, whatever, for, for three, four years, then there is definitely performance gains out there for you. So, um, yep, you know, the, the, all the technology um, that goes into uh, modern golf equipment, that is going to come at a premium price. 429 is right at the top end. I don't think there's anything more expensive than that on the market. Um, but, you know, you do tend to get what you pay for when it comes to golf equipment. You do, and I would be surprised if TaylorMade were out there on their own at that sort of price point come this time next year. I would expect some of the other brands to maybe um, join them at that slightly higher price point. Anyway, uh, that's enough on the TaylorMade M1. Uh, certainly a very striking driver, and for us it's been uh, very interesting to see everyone's reactions to it. Um, Jake, for you, 2015, um, when you look at, I mean, the vast number of products we've had that have come through this office is quite ridiculous, really. And every day there's something that seems to be, you know, whether it might be a new golf ball or a pair of shoes or wedges, whatever it might be, something comes in. For you, what's been the standout piece of equipment for 2015? I mean, you're right. There's a, there's a hell of a lot of choice. Um, but for me, I'm going to go with something a little more understated. And um, I'm quite a classic sort of fan of golf gear, so I'm not a massive fan of the bright colours and I quite like a nice look and a subtle 
um, sort of sleek finish. And for me, uh, what Ping did with their eye range this year was um, really nice. They sort of went back to the ferrule. They um, there was no sort of ugly um, sort of Larry club head. It was just a very classic chrome finish. All the technology was um, in there, but it was sort of nicely disguised into a better player compact shape. And um, I know from speaking to a lot of club golfers, a lot of golf fans, that they would never play ping because of the look of the club. And I think that now is not necessarily a factor because I think they've made it really appealing. As that, that ferrule that you talk about, which is the ferrule is the bit between the shaft and the club head. That's a little black thing that goes on top of the club head uh, that sort of makes, I guess, the transition from the head into the shaft look a little smoother. It, it uh, sort of absolutely no performance benefit whatsoever no, behind having a feral but it does make a difference doesn't it and I think it's something that Ping are sort of coming round to they're, they're such tra they're traditionalists in term terms of they'll only do things to their golf clubs that help <laughs> them perform better but this is actually something purely for the aesthetics and for you that made a big difference to it yeah I think um, the look over the ball is uh, very important for confidence and for me, it's just something that ticks a box that it didn't previously tick. So I'm quite excited about that. The other one that um, I'd like to talk about very quickly is um, the new Cobra stuff. I think Cobra had sort of maybe lost their way a little bit over the last few years. And I think the new stuff they've come out with looks like they've got back into, the, into their stride. The sort of the rebirth of the King brand uh, looks really strong. I sort of had quite a... A good time hitting the new LTD driver at a launch event, um, and the, the idea of zero CG I think is one that um, could be a, a very good one for them. Had you been a fan of Cobra products? I mean, I know that you, you felt that they'd lost their way, but um, for me, actually, Cobra has sort of stuck to doing some pretty good stuff. Uh, but maybe they've been changing the looks and ch chasing things yeah. that were looking really striking and had that visibility out on tour. Why do you think this stuff was is better? I think it plays better. I think. I mean, I don't mind the finishes. Uh, I think they've stuck to their guns there, and actually they've crafted a really good marketplace for themselves in terms of the, all the colours, especially with the new F6 range um, that was launched a month or so ago. That's There's lots of colours there. But the LTD, what I like is that it's, as I said, I'm quite a classic um, sort of fan of golf gear, and just looking down on that, it's got a really nice head. Um, it's got all the technology there that Cobra fans love, because I think Cobra, like Taylor maybe we spoke about, uh, uh, like to push the envelope, and that gives you all the tech underneath but from the top it just looks like a really classic driver and I think that's where they've married up the two really well they've got something that looks great but still feel like you've got value for money because you've got all these toys underneath uh, underneath the hood really indeed indeed and Joel you and I tested um, the I and the G Max irons that came out exactly the same time on the same day uh, pick a winner between them well, they're obviously aimed at two very different... Uh, yeah, be that as it may. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, I was testing the G-Max mostly, and, and for me, if you're uh, an inconsistent ball striker, I think that, that G-Max iron is really going to help you hit more greens, especially the long irons. You know, golfers of that ability really struggle with their long irons. They tend to miss them low left, uh, low right, sorry. Um, and with the, with the G-Max irons... Short. And short, yeah, obviously. But with the G-Max, you've got lighter shafts in the long irons, so that's going to help golfers get a little bit more club head speed and offset those off-centre hits and hopefully hit more greens, which is obviously what we all want to do uh, with our irons. So, yeah, really impressed with the G-Max. And obviously the I-Iron is, is um, an interesting one because it offers that combination of feel and forgiveness, which is kind of that crossover category between better players and game improvers. And I think the appeal is even wider now with this, with this new I-Iron and what they're offering. I think you just said the word category, which means that I've, you've been spending too I've much time in the five US. Okay, fine. Um, and Mike, finally on to you. Um, I mean, for you, there's 
most things that have come into the office have gone into your bag eventually <laughs> this year. Um, but what for you has been the standout product? Well, um, I'm not going to pick um, a bit of hardware, although I do think there have been a number of really strong launches. I think, uh, as we've talked about, the, the Ping I and G Max, very strong. I also think um, Titleist 716 irons, they've really broadened the appeal. Titleist used to be just a brand for better players that uh, perhaps golfers aspired to, but you know the performance wasn't there for everybody. They've done a fantastic job with um, the evolution of that 7 Series iron. 714 was, was great. 716 really offers something for everybody there. They're, everybody can now play a Titleist iron if that's what they want to do. But I'm not going to pick a bit of hardware. I'm going to pick a pair of shoes. Um, uh, it's well documented, my love of golf shoes. I do have many pairs. Uh, <laughs> and my favourite pair now are a pair of FootJoy Hyperflex. Um, if you think that FootJoy were a really traditional, what you call a saddle shoe company, you know, black and white um, saddle shoes. Uh, everyone remembers FootJoy Classics and, you know, Icon has been their latest, you know, premium incarnation. But where they perhaps, you know, have been wanting to make strides, but, um, you know, I sort of have been, I guess, challenged by the likes of Adidas and Nike, who make, you know, obviously a big heritage in, you know, multi-sport shoes, and they've done well in that sportier category. I think with Hyperflex, FootJoy have really nailed that um, performance sporty shoe, very contemporary look. Uh, it's not going to be for everybody. Um, but my favourite pair at the moment is actually a, a, an all-black pair. Um, when they bought the models out at the start, there was quite a, um, a you know, a sort of vivid um, green and blue pair, which was their sort of hero colour. That wasn't for everyone. That really split opinion. But I really enjoyed them. They are very, very comfortable straight out of the box, and they offer a lot of stability. And uh, my favourite ever FootJoy shoe was XPS 1, um, and I feel this is, you know, the, the best sort of modern incarnation of that. It, it's a good-looking, sporty shoe. Um, lots of technology in there with the with the flex grid that really allows you to um, your foot to move with the swing. But quick, quick question. Yeah. I'm sorry to stop you in mm. full flow, but does this stuff make a difference? Do you think that when you pick a shoe, you're looking at style and you're looking at maybe you're, you're definitely looking at price. Um, you're looking at comfort. How how important are those sort of performance attributes? Those kind of that 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 flex grid that you're talking about. Does it actually make a difference? Yeah, I think it does. I mean, I remember there was one shoe brand a number of years ago that claimed their shoes would help you hit the ball ten yards further. <laughs> uh, Footjoy certainly aren't claiming this, but what Footjoy they've done an awful lot. I went over with Joel to Footjoy headquarters um, just outside Boston um, earlier this year, and to see the work they're doing. Uh, when it comes to analysing golfers' swings. They've got this amazing room called the Shoe Box uh, where they do a lot of their testing of their shoes. Uh, and to see how how you move as a golfer, that, that really should um, inform your um, inform your sort of buying decisions of you know, what type of shoe is going to... Ha- you know, if, if you need to more movement in your swing, some people are very sort of static in their swings. They could, they could do with additional movement. Um, some like me as a larger athlete... Um, you know, when my weight goes one way or the other, I need extra stability, or I like to, you know, feel very stable in the golf swing. So, it's not going to help you hit the ball further. It's not going to help you hold more putts. But I do think that feeling comfortable during the golf golf swing. I mean, it's an athletic process. Um, you know, you need to feel 
um, grounded. You need to feel um, like the power is coming from the ground up, really. So, yeah, I do think shoes, you know, are really important, particularly, so when you play a lot, we play, you know, 36 holes in a day, you need comfortable shoes. Uh, and and Hyperflex, there's a lot of great shoes out there, but, but for me, you know, Hyperflex really is sort of move foot joys offering really on. Be interesting to see what's coming from them. Next year, we saw uh, some of the prototypes uh, on our trip to Boston. Really exciting um, what Footjoy are doing in terms of evolving their, um, you know, their sort of category. They still make, you know, great traditional golf shoes, but there's some really exciting stuff coming. Okay, well, that um, is our some uh, choices for our favourite equipment for 2015. Um, as we sit here in December and look ahead at next year, one of the things equipment-wise that's really going to um, take effect in the professional game is going to be this ban on anchored putters. And anytime there's a, there's an equipment, a, a sort of a rule change related to equipment, that gives birth to a whole host of new equipment ideas from the manufacturers. It's almost as if the people in the R&D departments look at it as an opportunity to really come up with something a bit different and... Um, Oh, it's good about, about to use a very corporate word, push the envelope <laughs> on what they're going to do, but you get my point. Um, Joel, you've tested a few of these uh, different putters that are coming out to help people. Um, for you, what are, the, what are they like? What are they like to, as, as a whole, without talking about any of the models specifically, do you think they're actually, um, they can help you in the way that anchoring helped you, or is it a little bit of a halfway house? Yeah, I think it's it's never going to be exactly the same in terms of the feel that uh, you know a counterbalance putter provides. Obviously, the design is trying to replicate that as close as possible. Um, but there's a lot of manufacturers out there that are that are producing counterbalance putters, and I think you're going to see a lot of golfers perhaps going for this kind of arm lock method that we've seen uh, Matt Kuchar be very successful down the years. You've got Soren Kelson doing it as well. I think you might see more golfers gravitating towards that kind of putter. But interestingly, there's a launch recently, Nike's new Counterflex putter, which is um, an interesting design. Where yeah, I saw that. They, they have a, a big weight that goes into the, the sort of butt end of the putter that goes a long way down the grip, right? Exactly, yeah. So you can, you can slide that weight up and down inside the grip, and it effectively changes the position of the weight in relation to your hands. So if you uh, have a really a strong inclination to have a putter that feels like a belly putter, you can position that weight right up near the top. But if you just want to have a slight, a little bit more stability um, near where the hands are, you can move that weight down. And that doesn't have a stronger feeling as a belly putter, but it's still going to give you more stability than a regular putter. But if your hands are a wee bit shaky, your hands are a wee bit shaky, there's not too much. Or am I being a bit harsh here? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, counterbalance putters, uh, they've never been uh, my preference. I've always felt like they control you too much, but obviously if you're uh, using a belly putter, you want that feeling. So um, you've got Scotty Cameron, you've got Bettinardi, there are loads of different models out there that should help you gain control of the face and feel a little bit more. And, and also, God. can I just jump in there that um, this year, even though I like to think I'm a good putter, I've never had any problems, thankfully, with the yips, and I do really feel for any golfers who struggle uh, with their parts it, it's so debilitating but uh, I think as Joel said there's you know some interesting technology technology out there in terms of counterbalancing I also think the bigger fat grips um, I've started using um, a ping cadence um, catch putter this year with a bigger grip and I just picked it up and absolutely love the feel of it, it really feels great in your hands and I think you know if you're looking to take the wrists out if that's the sort of thing you feel a bit shaky on 
try a big grip, you know, whether it's a super stroke grip or um, you know one of the manufacturer's own models. Go in, go into a pro shop, go and try a putter with a bigger grip. And I think you know if you're shaky over your putts, I think that could be a good starting point. Indeed, indeed. And Jay, do you think looking specifically at Tour and the Tour players who were anchoring, who now won't be able to anchor? Is their future on tour now looking a little dicey? Are they looking as if their careers are going to suffer strongly as a result? Or do you think these guys will find a way through it? You, you know, your Keegan Bradleys, your yeah. Webb Simpsons, Adam Scotts of this world. Are they going to be able to find a way through this? I think they've got to at the end of the day. It's their life, isn't it? It's not like it's a hobby and they can put it down and come back to it. I think Adam Scott's a great case in point. He um, was bottom of the leaderboard, I think, um, in the, the WGC. Um, and I think he's been trialling the... The, the short putter. I think he's actually played the short putter a few times and gone back to the long one. Yeah, I've noticed time. that as well. He so, has I mean, the fact that he's flipped not, back and forth. The fact that he's not made the switch already um, and keeps leaning back on the long one, I think he's going to struggle. And I wouldn't be surprised if the others struggle a bit. Um, you know, it, it's very difficult um, to try and change a fundamental part of the game like that. I think if you well, why why do, why do you think it is so difficult? Because especially for the likes of Webb Simpson and Keegan Bradley, they've grown up on the belly putter. It's not as if they've swapped to it because they had real problems with the short putter. Surely, surely there's a method out there for them, no? You'd hope so, and you'd like to think with the right coach um, and you know some time on the greens, they should be able to, to handle it. I think it's probably more of a mental thing. I think um, if you've got a putter like that, then maybe you just give yourself a little mental boost. You think, I feel more confident, I feel... I trust my stroke more, whereas now they're going to be doubting themselves. There's going to be that little voice at the back of the head that says, well, it's a little bit of a wobbly backswing, and now I've got to um, you know, sort of counter that with a little bit of a push right or a pull left on the way through. And I just yeah, you don't need to be thinking gonna, that, do you? They're not going to trust their, their action as much. Um, so I think it's more to do with that. If they can get in the right place mentally on the greens, I think they'll, they'll do okay. Um, but if they're, if they're sort of stuck in the past and worrying about the putter they've just got rid of, then that's where they're going to struggle, in my opinion. I think it's the same sort of thing you know, we've seen over the years with various changes with the wedge rulings coming in, going from permission to big titanium drivers. I think if they embrace it and they, and they work on it, they should be okay. Especially, you know, people like Adam Scott are so talented, you've got to think that they can, they can manage it. Um, but it's definitely going to be an interesting one to watch, isn't it, over the, over the next season, see it, how they get on. It absolutely will. I think we all wish them well, don't we? Because putting is one of those things that oh, when we've all suffered... I think I can speak for all of us around this table and probably everyone listening. We've all suffered. We all know what it's like to hold nothing and watch the bloke you're playing with hold everything. And <laughs> there's nothing more annoying. Um, and so I think we, you know, we'd all wish them very well. Um, moving on to our next uh, topic, we're going to look at some of the trends that we expect to see within the equipment sector in 2016. And we've got some big launches coming up. And we can't really talk too much about them because there's a big trade show that kicks off in Orlando next year and the new gear that you'll see for 2016 most of it will be debuting at that event um, we've had some heads up on what to expect but we don't really know too many of the details so it's not something we can really discuss here but we can talk about some of the sort of trends that we we think we're likely to see um, Joel you're closest to the sort of day-to-day -day, uh, equipment element of what we do uh, what do you think we're gonna see next year I think Crown Aerodynamics is going to be a, a big topic next year. Obviously, manufacturers are limited in terms of what they can do with the spring-like effect of the face, so they're looking for different ways of speeding up the club head, and 
improving a crown's aerodynamics is one way of doing it. We've seen it with Ping G30, we've seen it with the Callaway XR driver this year, and I think manufacturers are going to be looking for other ways of reducing that aerodynamic drag and increasing distance that way. Um, I think it, it, the, these are all fairly minor in, incremental changes, though, are they, Joel? Do you think you, uh, a manufacturer will be able to do something that really makes a huge difference, or do you think it's it's steady incremental? Uh, increases that we can expect. Yeah, I think it's steady incremental changes year on year. You know, they're obviously putting a lot of time into their research and development, but to make significant changes in golf club design, this you know, in such a short space of time, is going to be tricky. Certainly, I haven't seen one yet um, since I've been working at Golf Monthly. Um, but I think CG location is another hot topic as well. We've seen Cobra break the boundaries with their zero CG driver, and, and they're going to be looking at ways of moving that CG even further down to, to increase launch and lower spin even further, and that's another way of increasing distance. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's funny because a few years ago we saw CG locations moving slightly forward, now they're, they're well, they're, different manufacturers seem to have them in different places, mm. don't they? Yeah. And it, it's difficult, I don't, I, I don't know what to expect almost next year. I know, that, and, you know, they all claim that what, what they believe is the best position. You've got Ping, who are firm believers in low and back, we've got TaylorMade and Cobra now thinking it's low and forward. Um, and there's pros and cons for both, but I think what we're going to see is those CG locations and drivers moving towards the extremes even further um, to maximise distance and, and forgiveness in, for what they believe is right for driver performance. And Jake, anything that you are expecting to see next year? Um, any specific trends that you think manufacturers are going to pick up on and run with? I mean, following on from that, I think it leads really well into um, customisation because, as Joel just said, there's lots of different theories on what's the best um, way to do things. And I, something we've already seen a little bit of this year was with TaylorMade's two tracks on the M1. Um, I know Callaway's um, 816 drivers as well have customizable um, centers of gravity where you can flip them. And I think that sort of customization is going to be big for 2016 because, like Joel's already said, and like we've said, there's not many ways you can push the envelope in terms of um, the sort of the, how quickly the ball comes off the face, in terms of how you know, if you can only make a driver so light. You're restricted within the, the so rules, I so it's about... It's about sort of that adding that extra something and whether that's um, adjustability in the case of those things or whether it's uh, in terms of like crown colours like the Cobra so you can sort of match your favourite football team or your, the look of your bag or whatever. Um, and as Mike mentioned as well earlier, shafts. Um, I think that's a big thing that more and more brands are doing is giving you loads of choices of shafts. How can they give you better value over their competitors? You know, if, if they can give you 20 shafts, 15 shafts at no extra cost, you might think that they're a better investment, um, you know, than, than another driver. So I think that's going to be a theme throughout golf. At the moment, um, a handful of the sort of the big guys do it. They give lots of free aftermarket shafts. I think that might come more common down through the pyramid as well with sort of some of the smaller brands. Yeah, indeed. And, I mean, shafts is a, is a huge thing. Joe, what were you going to say? Go no, I agree with Jake about the shafts, but also I think one... The real big step a lot of manufacturers have made this year with crown materials. I mean, this kind of the weight savings that we're getting in drivers this year in terms of the crown materials that they're using is the, essentially the key to unlocking all the technology we see on the bottom of clubs. And I think there's been some really big advances this year. And but they're, they're advances, but people will be sat there listening to this thinking oh, they're not advances if we've seen them before. And as Mike said with the ERC, that, that had a carbon composite crown on it, I believe, did it? Um, it did, yeah, but yeah, we're, we're seeing this year, we're seeing <laughs> bigger developments in terms of materials, people are using the thinness that people are getting on their crowns, and we're going to see more next year, and this is really the key to unlocking more technology on the bottom of clubs that's going to help golfers hit the ball further. Okay, and 
I was actually going to... Mike's waving at me furiously, but I'm going to actually ask you something. Uh, it's like, as, a, as somebody who tinkers a lot with equipment, <laughs> um, how much more performance can someone unlock through these customizations that, that Jake is talking about? So being able to put the weight exactly where you need it, exactly the right shaft, exactly the right loft. Is there much of a difference or is it something that's fairly small and it's just tweaking and it's just making it right for your game? I think that really depends upon how much um, custom fitting you've been through with your current set or you know previous sets of golf clubs. As you say, I'm a, uh, always tinkering. So you know, for me, custom fitting is about really dialing in launch conditions for me when it comes to the driver. I put a lot of spin on the ball with the driver, so I'm always looking to bring spin down but still um, you know, keep a nice sort of high flight on the ball. Um, if you haven't been custom fitted before, then I think it's a really eye-opening experience. I think you can unlock uh, a lot of additional performance, and whether that additional performance is more distance or more forgiveness, um, by getting the equipment that's right for you, I think you can really help your you know, scoring potential, really. And I think that's sort of probably my take on what will be um, a big trend for next year is really good looking really playable game improver irons that actually um, probably you know high single figure golfers or um, golfers who are you know are very competent players but aren't the best ball strikers would benefit from having uh, more assistance when it comes to their irons I certainly am thinking of I've sort of have played um, a sort of better player, shallow cavity iron for a number of years now. My ball striking, my iron play, I don't think is good enough to warrant that type of club. So I'm now looking at moving to what you would maybe have called a game improver iron. Even though I'm a seven handicap golfer, I know, you know I accept that my iron play needs help. Uh, I need to hit the ball further with my irons and I need to um, tighten my dispersion. And I think the way I'll do that is by moving away from that um, shallow cavity that, yeah, looks great in the bag, and I think all those irons look really cool. But if, you're not, if they are holding your game back, then you're doing yourself a, a disservice. I think you, know, you want to go into, if you're thinking of buying a new driver or a new set of irons in particular, go into a fitting with very open eyes and work with the fitter, you know, PGA Pro, club fitting expert, and just be honest about what you're looking to do. If you just really want a cool set of irons, fine, buy them, love them, be proud when you've got them in the bag <laughs> and when your mates go, don't those look great? But probably know that you are holding your game back a little bit, uh, that you're not take, you know, making the most of the technology that's out there to help you hit it further and to narrow your dispersion. So I think a big trend for, um, for 2016 will be really good-looking, uh, very playable game improver irons, and I'll be certainly moving to them. I think that's probably a conversation that a few of us would have with ourselves. Uh, Jake, go on. You were going to just say something. I was just going to jump there. in there and sort of only endorse what Mike said is that between me and Joel, we do all of the reader fittings for Golf Monthly Magazine, yep. which um, if you guys are on our forum, then you can check out. We'll be posting them throughout the year the, where you can get involved. Oh, excellent plug there, Jake. Very good. Um, but I was going to say that in all the ones that I've done over the years, um, not once have I ever come across a golfer who's lost performance by having a custom fit. Um, once or twice you'll get people that have sort of like-for-like like performance because they've already had a fitted club. Been well fitted but even the then, they've gone for the new one because of the look and the feel and the confidence. 
Um, but on the whole, I mean, last year I'd done some iron fittings and guys were picking up 20 yards and better accuracy. Um, I had my first real driver fitting um, about a year and a half ago with sort of a choice of 30-odd shafts and, and I probably gained about 20 yards from getting that better ball flight. Um, I couldn't endorse a fitting, um, you know, sort of highly enough really. And the important thing I think is to get mod launch monitor numbers um, uh -huh. because then you can actually see the, the improvement. You're not just sort of taking someone's word from word it. for it yeah um, so my advice would be go somewhere with a proper setup do it properly and you won't regret it no that's very good advice indeed I think we would all uh, echo that okay so uh, I'm going to spring something on everybody um, as, a, as a final point of discussion uh, which I haven't told them about uh, I want them all to select their single favorite piece of equipment of all time um, and before and I'm going to give you literally 10 seconds to think about it while I propose my own uh, and my own would be the Titleist Pro V1 so none of you can use that and the reason I'm going to say the Titleist Pro V1 is because when I was at university uh, aged 18 the Titleist Pro V1 came out or whatever however old I was Titleist Pro V1 came out I was at St Andrews uh, all of my mates played golf and it was a golf ball that went a lot further than the previous um, sort of the sort of blasters that we were using it never cut up um, it was something. Com it, was, it was as if golf equipment had taken a giant leap forward overnight, and everyone had to go. Even though none of us could afford them, and none of us could afford them, and it was ridiculous because people were basically not eating in order to buy Pro V ones, which is quite a bizarre <laughs> run of events. Uh, but it was, I'd say, in my lifetime, being the big uh, change in equipment that kind of took everybody by surprise and really made a difference. Okay, who's looking most concerned if they don't know what to <laughs> I'll, say? I'll jump in. Oh. <laughs> um, I think the thing that um, I was most excited about when I heard it launch a few, a sort of, it's quite a while ago now, five, six years ago, is laser rangefinders. I think um, something that wasn't, oh. wasn't even in the golf sphere, no one's ever sort of even thought about it, and then pick one up, have a go, and you're a convert in seconds. I think the, the added confidence of zapping a flag and knowing your yardage in three seconds rather than going through yardage book, sort of pacing it out, it speeds up goal. I think um, you've, you've sold us all on that yeah. one, and, um, Jake. A bit pricey, a uh, bit of a boy's toy, but um, I just think they're really exciting and good bits of kit that help your game. Okay. Uh, over to Mike Harris. Mike? Ah, now, interestingly, I'm going on about, I keep on talking about how bad my iron play is. Now, the one thing that's definitely helped me is hybrids. Uh, I find them so much easier to hit than long irons. I think it's about getting the right one for you. Um, you see there are so many different designs out there. Um, I think the driving irons are really interesting. If you, you know, if you really are not wanting to give up your long iron, I think go for a driving iron because you've got that added forgiveness, um, but it still, you know, still looks like an iron. But for me, I've been a real convert to hybrids. I actually carry three of them. Uh, I have a, um, a, a hybrid which is effectively a three-wood loft at, at 16 degrees. All my hybrids are Adams. I think Adams um, really did own the hybrids market. Great innovation. Of course, they brought in slot technology ahead of everyone else. Um, and I've found that my Adams, I think it's called a Super 9031, um, still got it in play. That's been in my bag for about two and a half, three years, which is a long time for kit for me. I absolutely love that club. It's my sort of go-to. Uh, it's 23 degrees, so it's effectively it's a four-iron replacement. I can hit it about 190 full out. Um, and if I have to hit a fairway, if, I, if, if, if my life depended on hitting a fairway, I would pull that out of the bag. 
Um, great club, really versatile, good performance, very confidence inspiring. So for me, um, my Adams 90-31 hybrid. Yeah, I would say that your hybrid play is <laughs> better than your Long Island play, Thank Mike. You. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Joel, come on. Yeah, Drum roll, yeah, here we I go. Mean, this is obviously a very, very tough decision, but um, I've used a yes putter for many, many years now. It must be six, seven years now. But ever since I switched to the, the fatter grip, so the super stroke grips, um, this it really has genuinely transformed my putting. Um, the control of the face is so much better, and the feel you get is just you know worlds apart from what I was using before, which was just a standard uh, pistol grip. Um, so I really do recommend any golfer if you're currently using a pistol grip, maybe just try a super stroke or, or equivalent. You know, there's lots of different brands out there. Uh, try a fat putting grip because I really do think it could turn your putting around. It certainly did for me, anyway. And I've also got one. And uh, Mike has yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> we all have. Yeah. There we yeah. go. <laughs> and I, th I think the thing about it is they're not all huge. You know, there are um, there are slim fat grips, as it were. So um, yeah, as Joel says. Go into your pro shop. Go and you know there's a whole myriad of options there. Go have a feel and see what it feels like on a pit putter. But I would absolutely endorse what Joel says. I think it's it's you know a game changer for a lot of people. Uh, well, there you have it. That's um, that's it for the podcast this week, the Clubhouse. Uh, thank you for joining us. Just one quick plug: um, if you are into your golf equipment, please do follow Golf Monthly on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, the various in, um, social media channels, because the guys work very hard to make sure that we are the very, very first people to get the information out as soon as the embargo lifts. So we've mentioned a few times in this podcast that we know that there's a few things in the pipeline. If you're interested in what those things might be, and I can say that you probably will be because there's some quite cool stuff about to come out make sure you follow us on those platforms because you will be the first people to find out about them uh, that's the end of the party political broadcast uh, thank you for listening and we look forward to welcoming you into the clubhouse next time